1: I do not
2: understand this football name you know in mean? America. How how
1: many of kicks is there in the football game?
2: Six kicks? I'm
0: gonna say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen.
2: I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the moxie, but I, more importantly, I like the poise. And the noise. Oh, what are you
0: doing? You gotta beat with me!
2: It's Jonathan Elway, he was so sassy and cool and hey guys I'm a cowboy. Bang bang sling sling toss toss. I'm going to lose all the time and then I win and then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat us. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gilligan. Yes, I'm Kevin Gilligan, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder, and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. I am back, Broncos fans, and I did miss talking to you. I hope you missed me a little bit. Um, I'm trying to get back into the swing of things with... The Broncos football sports in general, you know, kind of when you go on vacation, you shut off your brain a little bit to, to social media and to news of any kind. And so it's kind of nice to come back today and soak up a little bit of what's been going on over the last few weeks. Um, I'm not totally full of information today. I guess that's one problem with going on vacation and doing a podcast on a Monday morning. But, you know, I'll do what I can. There's some fun things going on. I think it's a really fun atmosphere right now for the Denver Broncos. Um, It's a better feeling than we've had in a long time. And there's some interesting ways that we can see that. I think we want to talk about today a little bit about Peyton Manning and where he stands with the Broncos right now. I want to talk about some of the players' quotes about Vic Fangio, and we're also going to have on, as usual, the skipper dude who's going to give his impressions of Vic Fangio and Vic Fangio's coaching style, and what he thinks that coaching style will do for a team, and if players today can handle it. And that's that's an interesting question. And before skipper dude gets to it, I, I want to talk about that a little bit too, that I think it's it's fun to watch these interviews with guys like Shelby Harris and Derek Wolf talk about their their coaches and their new coaching staff cuz some of them aren't new. I mean Bill Kolar has been there for for quite a while. He was there with the with the Super Bowl team. And so the guys know him uh, know him and ha- have known him and he's been a big influence on these players in general. I think Shelby Har- Harris even even credited Kolar with with helping resurrect his career. And so it's interesting to see that, that there are still plenty of guys who can handle being yelled at. Because I think Kolar is kind of known for being this really, really, really tough drill sergeant type of a guy who just does not handle any type of mistakes and is is just kind of your grumpy old yeah marine type of a guy. Um, and I think Fangio is not quite the same. I think Fangio is kind of rough. He's kind of your, your grandfatherly, a little bit crabby, a little bit grumpy, but not a yeller I don't I don't he doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to be screaming a lot now maybe that's maybe it's the case and I just haven't seen it but I think he's more of a quiet guy who's going to let you know um, exactly what he feels but he's not going to do it by by screaming at you and I think that's a good way to coach I think you look at the players and this is something we really talked about over the last year or so when I started doing this podcast that the team last season did not have that accountability there was no one who was coming out and saying hey this is on me nobody was 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 willing to take responsibility and from that there was this weird feeling in the locker room there's this weird feeling with the players they didn't seem happy that the players were griping about the coaches the coaches were griping about the players players were upset with other players and and that all stems from from the top and it it started from you know the coaching staff that did I think they didn't, they weren't hard enough, they weren't strict enough. You see this in a family. When you have a family with, with with parents who let their kids get away with too much, the kids aren't happy with it. We've talked about this before. It doesn't make them happy, it just makes them try to get into more trouble. And then even when they get into more trouble and more trouble and more trouble, it's not a pleasant thing for kids. Kids don't actually like being in trouble. The kids don't like having that freedom. We've talked about this before. And it's the same in a locker room. The guys don't actually want to be let... They don't want to just be allowed to do anything. They don't want to be allowed to get late to work. They want a little bit of that strictness. Now, maybe not, you know, Bill Kolar type strict, but, but they want some structure. They want that in their work life because it gives you a feeling of security. And that's what human beings want. We want security. We want to feel comfortable in our lives, in our relationships, in our jobs. And so... You can see it in the players. I love, isn't it so fun to watch these interviews with these guys now? They look like they're having a good time. They say they're having a good time. They say they're enjoying football again. And I don't remember that in the last few years. Now, maybe I just have a short memory that that definitely could be the case. Maybe someone's going to call me out and say, yeah, come on, Kevin. They they were saying the same things. Maybe they were, but it doesn't, it doesn't stick out. In my memory that they were, it was kind of business as usual. They're saying the things that, that they need to say to the, to the media, but now they, they seem, they seem comfortable. They seem at ease and that's with a tougher coach. I think it's fascinating. I think it's a, a a study of human character and a study of, of what people actually want. And I think you can look at the Broncos over the last maybe you know five, six, seven years and look at the different stages of success compared to the different stages of accountability, and it's a really fascinating thing. The, the, the Broncos were at their best. Obviously, yes, part of it's talent, of course, but part of it is accountability. Now, paid Manning was a really unusual... Um, case because he brought of course the skill on the field he was one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time but he also brought the accountability he made everyone better because you had to be you had to be if you were going to play with Peyton Manning he would not allow you to be anything other than the best and that made them one of the best teams in football and so that's one reason why and we'll talk about Peyton Manning a little bit later but that's one reason why I love to have him around around the team geez I mean they, they need to bring him in as much as they possibly can, bring his presence back. You know, guys like him and DeMarcus Ware, I think it's a shame that they're not keeping DeMarcus Ware on the team as a, as a coach, you know, or a part-time coach or whatever. I think, I believe if I remember right, he went down to Dallas now um, after having coached with the Broncos for, for two seasons. Um, and I think that's a shame. I understand it. I understand a new regime wants to, you know, change things out. They want a new, you know, a new era of coaches and that that's fine. But I, I think it's, it's, it's good to see the accountability. It's good to see these guys saying, hey, look, this is tough. You know, these, these guys are asking us to put everything out there on the field. And to go along with that, of course, you need to bring in players who can, who can accept that. You need to bring in players who, who will give it their all, who want to give it their all, who are ready to die out there on the field. And when you combine that with, obviously, intelligent players, and, 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 of course, you need talented players. But, you know, this is really the question. What, what is the difference of actual talent between, say, the number one wide receiver and the number 50 wide receiver? Now, yes, there's a difference. Number one runs better routes. He's faster. He's stronger. But a lot of the times, he's he's smarter, and he's he just tougher. You know, he, he shows up on time. Look at Larry Fitzgerald. Now, Larry Fitzgerald, of course, is a, is a freakish athlete, and he's got incredible physical talents, but he's also a guy who has become one of the best receivers of a generation because he was extremely smart, he learned how to run routes, and he showed up, he, he was a leader, he was a guy who was tough, and he was strong, and he was he was a, a good dude, and I think that matters, and, and, and you know, that's how I usually approach these things on this show, that I do think character matters, I think a locker room morality matters, and now Yeah, you know, lately Arizona hasn't seen much of that and and Fitzgerald hasn't been able to change that either. But one player can't do enough. You have to, it has to be the entire culture. The entire culture has to be built around talent, but also around good dudes. And I see that in this locker room. You see guys get up there like, like Shelby Harris and Derek Wolf. Now, yeah, I'm not saying these are, these are, you know, even role models for my kids or something, but they're guys who just, you can tell they love football they love the game. They love their teammates. They love football. They, they love being a Bronco. They want to be there. They want to go out there and suffer and sacrifice for their, for their buddies. And that's not the case with everyone. And and that's okay. I mean, for some people, it's just a job and heck, you know, if I could go out there and just get paid you know, a couple million dollars to, to play a game, even though it's really, really brutal on your body, then sure. And so I don't blame guys who don't do it, but you know i do blame teams for bringing in guys who don't want it they don't want to be the best and oftentimes these are the guys who are these divas i mean look at look at antonio brown he's a he's a gifted guy but i don't know is he going to make oakland better maybe maybe he will and i think that's an, he's going to be a really interesting case that oakland is oakland you know oakland does oakland things but if you you know maybe his talent and his abilities will will put that team over the edge but maybe his divaness will will sink them I think I, I can't wait to see what happens there because, you know, my, my, you know, philosophy, my thinking is that he will make them worse in the end because of his, his attitude. But I could absolutely be wrong. I could absolutely be wrong. And I know people are probably sitting there. Oh, Kevin's always being mean. Yeah. I mean, does anyone question that Antonio Brown's a diva? I mean, come on. Of course he's a diva. He's a, he's an unbelievable unbelievably good wide receiver. One of the best we've, we've seen maybe ever. And so that's the question. What we'll see. I'm curious to see now, of course I'm a Bronco fan. I hope that he goes and makes them a worse team. Of course I do. We all do. Everyone listening to this show hopes that Antonio Brown is a complete dud in Oakland. And I'm, I'm, I'll be fascinated to watch fascinated to, to, to see what happens in Oakland because no one really knows, right? I mean, I mean, Derek Carr, Antonio Brown—they're going to be a—they're going to be fun. They're going to be fun to watch. Uh, I, I'm really excited for the AFC West. I think this season is still going to be a growing season for the Broncos. So I think it's going to be really fun to kind of relax, you know, take the losses and be kind of okay with it. I mean, I say this now. I understand when the time comes, I'm going to really, really hate the losses, but. But for now, we can look at it from the outside and say, "Yeah, okay, this is a this is a nine and seven, eight and eight team, most likely." And if that's the case, then we can look around and kind of see things from an outside perspective and look what's going on in in L.A. in uh, for the Chargers and for the uh, Raiders, for the Chiefs, and see where the future is. And of course, the future is usually at quarterback. And so the Broncos, of course, have a very interesting situation there too. And that that's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's going to be dramatic. I think most people hope that Joe Flacco lasts the year and then Drew Locke takes over in the next few years after he's had some time to learn, after he's had some time to not you know, just be thrown into the wolves. And I think if he can learn behind Joe Flacco, that's fantastic. Now, I think it's definitely possible that that Drew Locke starts at some point next season because Joe Flacco has been known to be hurt, especially over the last few years. He he, he consistently gets injured. Um, But even that may not be a bad thing. I mean... maybe not i we'll see i think again it's fun it's fun. i this is such a it's a fun season i think last year was so depressing for many people be, before the season because you knew you had some talent but you knew you didn't trust the coaching staff and you had no idea what you had gotten in the draft you didn't trust elway's drafts because generally they've been terrible and so 18 2018 kind of changed that and i think 2019 also seems to be very good but before that, before 2018, we have to remember that we didn't trust Elway's drafts at all because they'd been terrible. So no one really knew what to think of, of you know, geez, Sutton or, or even Philip Lindsay, who I know wasn't drafted. But but these guys who were brought in, it was a big question mark. And so I think it was it was kind of a dark offseason last offseason. And and I wasn't yet um, blogging or contributing. So I, I was more of a pure fan just looking from the outside. And so I kind of ignored the Broncos. I was I was covering you know, watching more of the, the Nuggets and the Rockies. But it was still kind of a subject that you avoided, right? You're kinda of like, Yeah, let's hope. Let's hope. Let's 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 hope and say a prayer that the, the Broncos are not absolutely terrible this season like they were two years ago and yeah, they they were slightly better, but of course, you know, eventually got Vance Joseph fired and the rest is history. Now this offseason, much different, much more optimistic, at least for me. Um, exciting to see what, what, what happens going forward. We have, you know, obviously a couple more weeks before training camp or a couple months, I guess, at this point. Um But still, a lot we can talk about. I mean, the next segment, I think I'm going to send it over to Skipper Dude now. Um, He's going to talk about Vic Fangio and his coaching style. And then after that, we'll talk a little bit about Peyton Manning and what he said while he was in Denver, which I hope happens a lot more often. And we'll talk a little bit about the Chris Harris contract as well. So, up next, Skipper Dude, after this quick break
1: Anatomy of an Ad Subconsciously Trigger Emotions Through Music. Perfect.
0: Having me on, Kevin. I am the Skipper Dude, proud Broncos fan since 1984. So, today we're going to embark on a two part series on what it's like to play for coaches like Vic Fangio. And what I mean, of course, are coaches who are particularly intense, hard nosed, have no problems calling out players publicly, and often even assault the dignity of their players publicly. Fangio has not even been with the Broncos for six months, but we're already seeing players come out in the media and talking about the degree to which he's changed the culture in Dove Valley, and how he's brought a level of accountability to the entire organization that just hasn't been there in recent years. But this accountability comes at a cost, and coaches like Fangio are not easy to play for. So at the end of the day, is this accountability really a good thing? Is this something that is really moving the Broncos in the right direction? That's what I'd like to explore. And I'd like to start out with a couple stories from my own background because I think they explain Vic Fangio fairly well. So when I was 13, I played Pony League Baseball in Southern California, and we had a coach who was what I call a yeller and screamer. He was a big, overweight, strong, scruffy-looking guy. I don't even remember his name. But before our first practice, he sat the team down and told us about how he liked to swerve his car in the street, so he could run over stray cats. As a bunch of 13-year-olds, I think most of us were scared to death of the guy. I was playing left field during that first practice, and I remember the center fielder doing something stupid during our defensive drills, and this coach literally slammed his fungal bat on the ground, shattered the bat, and started walking out towards center field like he was going to attack the kid. The coach settled himself down and then called off practice and sent us all home. So what happened next was really no surprise. Players' parents found out about the tone of the practice. They slapped together a quick meeting, and they relieved the coach of his duties. Uh, and so he was gone. But but for me, it was really my first experience with this kind of intensity and just plain meanness from a coach. But in reality, I think coaches like this are just kind of a dime-a-dozen commodity, typically driven by fragile egos oftentimes limited IQs, and they get themselves on a power trip when they they get into positions of authority. You can probably go to most junior college or small college football programs out there and find any number of yellers and screamers among the position coaches. And as a general rule, I think most of the players who play for them learn to basically just blow them off. The players don't enjoy the yelling and screaming. But they know it's a price you have to pay sometimes to get to a larger goal of playing college football or big-time baseball or basketball or whatever it is. So, but, but where your dime-a-dozen yellers and screamers really don't add all that much value to the sports world, there is another category of these guys that represent an entirely different experience and an entirely different brand of leader. And this other category includes Vic Fangio, I believe. For me, I got a second chance to play baseball for an outspoken, intense, hard-nosed coach in, in high school when I was 15 with a somewhat legendary coach named John Herbold at Lakewood High School in California. Coach Herbold and his big red machine had been featured in Sports Illustrated in the mid-70s, which compared him to legendary major league manager Earl Weaver, and in Sports Illustrated he actually called Earl Weaver nearly comatose by comparison. And it was well known in our little community that playing baseball at Lakewood High School was sort of like going to war. You were going to experience things you didn't think you'd ever experience, and you are going to come out of it a different person than you were when you went in. And that was all the work of Coach Herbel. Stanford graduate, former Marine Corps drill sergeant, he passed up any number of options to pursue the game he loved Baseball and he managed with the passion of 10 men. When, when you weren't living up to his expectations, oh my goodness, he was merciless. He'd yell at players for coming out of the locker room for the their practice having their practice jerseys untucked. He'd yell at us for not working out on a Saturday, even when there were no organized practices. And and heaven help you if you missed a cutoff man during defensive drills. Practice doesn't make perfect, he liked to say. Perfect practice makes perfect. And he was a character. I remember a summer game one time when he had an umpire that none of us particularly liked. Coach Herbold was, was in a particularly good mood that day. So between innings, he, he walks toward the batter's box to pick up a stray bat. He catches the umpire's eye, and he says, Hey, I just want you to know that you're the second best umpire I've ever worked with. And the umpire looked, took the bait, and he said, Why, thanks, John. Who, who's your favorite? Everybody else, he said, then turned around and walked back to the dugout. So, so a parent one time asked him, don't you want your players to have fun? And without skipping a beat, he said, sure I do. Winning's fun. And, and as it so happened, I managed to have a particular, what you might call a talent stack that, that made me a huge target for him. I didn't have a majorly measurable as I was 5'9 and left-handed, but I was fast and had developed my talents to the point where I was one of the top 15-year-old prospects in the area. If anything, I projected out as a sort of one Pierre major league prospect, if you remember that name. And for context, Southern California in the early nineteen eighties was a huge hotbed for baseball talent with names like Tony Gwynn, Jack Morris, Daryl Strawberry, and Shane Mack. And in fact, George Brett and even John Elway had, had gone through local LA area high schools just four or five years earlier during what was a golden age of local baseball talent. So this was big time stuff. But I was soft and passive, nice, you know, not tough either emotionally or physically, and Coach Herbal knew it and turned me into a sort of pet project. I remember playing a doubleheader during the summer, and I was playing first base that day. Early in the game, we had a pickoff play at first base. The umpire called the kid safe, even though he looked out from a distance. Coach Herbal came out to complain, and the umpire said that the throw was there in time, but that I hadn't slapped the tag down hard or fast enough to get him out. Oh, my stars, I heard every insult you could imagine for the entire rest of the day. For whatever reason, Coach Herbal was fixated on my breakfast habits, which apparently consisted of vanilla wafers, tapioca pudding, and pineapples. It was truly one of the worst days of my life. But through it all, I grew up as a baseball player, and more importantly, I grew up as a person. But that experience really brings up some interesting questions. Why was the overweight guy removed as coach after one practice when I was 13, yet Coach Herbald, Was a legend right across town as a high school coach. What sets the Vic Fangios of the world apart from your dime a dozen screamer yeller type junior college line coaches? And how does a guy like Vic Fangio rise to the top of his profession? For me, I believe it comes down to four attributes. Number one, the Vic Fangios of the world are typically intensely intelligent. I don't know this for a fact, but I tend to believe that when Vic Fangio walks into a room in Dove Valley, he is the smartest football mind in that room. And I wouldn't be surprised if that even includes John Elway. Number two, coaches like Vic Fangio have no regard for title or status. I haven't heard reports uh, along, along these lines from camp yet, but if Bradley Chubb is practicing sloppy and not covering receiver when he's called to do it, Fangio is going to be just as merciless with him as he will with a rookie. And number three, coaches like Vic Fangio don't focus on results. They focus on process. You get the process right, and the results will take care of themselves. I'll get into this a little bit more in depth next week. And number four, the Vic Fangios of the world are successful not because they are yelling and calling players out publicly to somehow stroke their own egos. In fact, their motivations are exactly the opposite. They behave like they behave because they have a great love for the men who play for them, and first and foremost, have the players' best interests in mind. Oftentimes, that best interest just happens to include tough love and even sometimes public humiliation. So, next week, we'll take a deeper look into the psychology of playing for a Vic Fangio type of coach. How will players, NFL players like Derek Wolfe and and Todd Davis and, and Chris Harris, Garrett Bowles, Joe Flacco, Von Miller... How will they take to playing for a guy who rules practices with an iron fist and who has no problems with publicly humiliating these multimillionaires for what may seem like stupid infractions like poor coverage or missed tackles during training camp? I think it's fascinating to ponder, honestly. Based on my own experience and what we've seen from Fangio throughout his recent career, at least, I'm super optimistic about it, but I think the psychological aspects of the Vic Fangio experience are well worth exploring in some depth. And we'll get into that more next week. Kevin, back to you.
2: Thanks, as always, to the Skipper Dude. Some good insight there. And I think, again, he's right. I think that these the coaching style generally can work. I think you're going to have some guys who are going to be turned off by it, some guys who don't want to be yelled at, don't want to be looked at you know, the wrong way. And I think you'll see some guys that will quietly leave the team in the system after a year. But hopefully that is only the few rather than the many. Um, What else is going on? I mean, while I was in Rome, I had the chance to to take a peek at what was going on. And, and by the way, Rome is a beautiful, beautiful, magnificent city. One of my favorite cities. I think Rome and Venice are 1A are and 1B for me. Um, and I've been to a lot of the European cities. Those are two of my favorites. I really love the Italian atmosphere. I think the warmth, the 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 late night, you know, um, markets, the history, the age. I just love the buildings and the the churches and the architecture. is It's really incredible what our ancestors were able to do. It's just a, a really a wonderful city. And the food was actually decently priced. The funny thing is, the Italian food in Rome was was not as good or not didn't taste as good as the Italian food here in Germany. I think partly because it's mostly touristic they don't you know spend a lot of time there's not a whole lot of love put into it and while in 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 Germany there's a little more a little more passion for it a little more want to um, I don't think that's the case all through Italy but but Italian food is very simple. it's very simple it, It's kind of noodles with sauce or or very simple pizza. It's not like American food. Um but if you do simple things and you do a few things really well, that is good enough to make it, you know, like the best cuisine in the world, which a lot of people would think it would be. And I think that's something it seems I don't know this, but I, I think the Broncos should go this direction, and I seem that they will to make things simple, to do a few things really, really well, both on offense and defense. You you figure out a few schemes, a few plays that really work, and you just run them to death and you make teams beat you with these few plays. You keep it fairly simple and that's how you win. Now, obviously that's the exact opposite of Peyton Manning who I think had a, you know, of course a very complicated system which he ran with, you know, whatever coach he had, but then he had changed it at the line, so his receivers had to be really smart. And I think now maybe maybe they'll simplify it a little bit. You know, you just but I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not true. I mean, I think I'm trying to, to use my Italian experience for for <laughs> a Bronco analogy, and I, I think maybe it's not working. Uh, I, I'll i be curious to see. I think that the, the defense, when you listen to the players, it will be some simplicity mixed in with some really wild blitzes and stuff. Somewhat Something kind of like Wade Phillips' scheme, different, but similar that you use players to the best of, the, of their abilities. And you mix in some 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 kind of bonkers coverages and blitzes to to throw off the quarterback every now and then. Um, anyway, um, back to Peyton Manning. Um, Peyton Manning visited the Broncos, I think, last week sometime, and he had a great interview. You can find that up in its entirety, I believe. Uh, Laurie did that for MileHighReport.com. Really, really great article. She's she's the best at writing up these these interviews and, and putting together these these. Um, I don't know, Spoken Reports. I mean, she's just a brilliant writer. Um, as many others over, as all the others, really, over at com. that's where you should definitely get all of your off-season and um, during-the-season information for the Denver Broncos. They also a great podcast over there with Adam and Ian St. Clair. Um, check them out once you're done listening to this podcast. Um, and Peyton Manning, he said, we while talking to the Broncos. We need to do this. We need to get better at this. And honestly, like the entire interview, I I almost didn't even pay attention to the words, which is terrible. I need to go back and and, and reread it a few times. But the we is what really stuck out to me. He said we. He didn't say the Broncos. He didn't say this team. He didn't say these guys. He said we. Peyton Manning. You know, the, the long, long, long time... Indianapolis Colts came to Denver and said, we, we the Broncos. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now, maybe it means nothing in the long run, but can you imagine Peyton Manning having a bigger role in this organization? I could see it. Maybe, I mean, I think he knows one day he wants to be an owner or some part of ownership. Man, if if the Bolins sell to somebody, can you imagine them selling to Peyton Manning? Oh, it just gives me chills just thinking about it. Now, you never know if a player is going to be a great executive or a great owner, as we've seen with um, <coughs> Magic Johnson. Um, but just to have him around, you know, to have his presence, to have him one of the all-time greatest quarterbacks, to still recognize himself as a Bronco, to still say "we," that that has to be cool, especially for the young guys. I and mean, these young guys grew up idolizing Peyton Manning. Jeez, I'm thirty, and Peyton Manning was like part of my childhood football, right? I mean, he was around forever. And so for these young kids growing up, they don't really know football without Peyton Manning. And so for him to come and say, we, that's pretty cool. And I think that's neat that he still sees that he is part of this team. And I hope, I hope he continues to, to, to visit, to, to be a part of the organization, because those are the type of guys you absolutely want as much as possible. Just like DeMarcus Ware. Winners. They are winners. Bring them back as often as possible. You know who another winner they brought back? At least for one season. I guess not really brought back. Pretty much the Broncos paid Chris Harris Jr. a little bit more money. Or not even a little. A medium amount of money so that he doesn't sit out. So that he will play this year. And it's an interesting thing that there are different views of it. I think a lot of people didn't like it. Uh, obviously some people did. Everyone wants Chris Harris Jr. here. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. I Very, very few. I The guy has been one of the greatest Broncos In in this generation of Broncos in the last 10, 20 years, Um, he's one of the best nickel corners of all time. Uh, He'll be a ring of famer, uh, just a a great player, good guy um, in a Bronco, a guy that I think we all can honestly say we want him to retire in Denver. That said, you know, the the, the adding a bit of money to a one year contract or or the final year of his contract didn't make a whole lot of people happy but this is what I talked about right before I left because it was it was a rumor at that point 2 weeks ago and no one knew what was going to happen but I thought it, it made sense that the LA was pretty much saying hey look Chris we like you we we, we you've done a lot for this team and and you know what we're going to show it to you we, we respect you this is a this is a show of respect this is saying hey look we want you to play for this team this next year we want you to be part of the team and we want you to be happy with us so that if you perform, if you do well enough this season, you'll have a chance to come back. You know, you'll want to come back. We will want, if we want to sign you, you'll want to come back and sign with us. It's a, it is still a prove it year. He's got to prove that he's healthy. He's got to prove as he has every year that he deserves a contract. But when you reach 30 or 31 years old, you're not going to get a long-term contract. You're just not, especially not a, a cornerback position. Now, If he decides maybe he wants to move to safety or the team decides to move him to safety, okay, I can see him then signing a three-year, you know, I don't know, nine per or whatever, ten per, eleven per, whatever. But as a cornerback, when you reach that age, you just you start to lose it physically, and the team can't gamble and pay you that much money. Now, what I could see happening is that he has a good year and they, so they they pay him another big one a, a contract for one more year, a big contract and they front load it and they say, you know and they give him a bunch of of, um, of potential uh, additions boy I, I'm, I'm blanking on the words here but but um, contracts, oh my gosh um <laughs> you know what i'm saying so if he if he reaches a pro bowl then he he gets a a boost to his paycheck if he reaches a super bowl etc cetera, etc cetera. and i can see that happening again depending on what he does this year and, and and depending on on how good the team plays this year if they play well then it'll obviously change what happens moving forward. I mean, if, who knows? I mean, does Joe Flacco stay? If Joe Flacco doesn't stay, then obviously you have more money next year because you're going to only have, have have Drew Locke and his salary is, is a much lower salary, of course, than a veteran quarterback. So you'll have more money to go around and maybe that money will go to Chris Harris Jr. if he proves he can play. But again, the big thing here is that he will almost almost guaranteed not get a long-term contract. You just don't do it. Even the best. I mean, even even the Champ Bailey types, you kind of regret it if you give them a long-term because they're a position where they eventually hit a wall physically. They can't perform like they have to. I mean, playing cornerback is unbelievably difficult. You have to have extremely quick hips. You have to be really fit in your knees and in your feet. And once you start reaching 31, 32, 33, you... Your body doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, regenerate as well. And it's just, it's just not as fast. I mean, you lose speed. And cornerback is a position you can't really afford that. Now, there have been some over the ages who've been able to. I mean, Champ Bailey is a good example. He played well into his 30s and was still very good, especially in his early 30s. And part of that was because he was just, he was so smart and he was such a technician. He was so good with his feet. Now, I do believe Chris Harris Jr. is similar. He's a guy who's who is very he's a very good athlete, but I think a lot of his playing ability, a lot of his ability to be a great cornerback is through his brain. You know, it's through him understanding offenses, understanding a scheme, knowing where to be, quick footwork, and, and that's something that could age well. And that's something that I think obviously the Broncos should and will take into account when it comes to the to the time of potentially extending him or, or, or re signing. They'll have to re sign because this is last year of his contract. But next year, you you have a lot of guys that are coming in in their contract years. I mean, Derek Wolf, Chris Harris Jr., and many others, and so it's a prove it year, and in a prove it, it's a good thing for the Broncos. I think in that case, the Broncos could outperform their projections. I mean, Vegas has them at seven wins. Vegas is pretty good about being right. They have a lot of money on the line, so seven wins means you had a lot of experts or quote unquote experts who really believe this is a seven win team. And so, if you start at that line, I already think they are eight and eight, nine and seven. But that's probably because fans typically give at least one or two extra wins because, well, we're fans of the team. Now, if the team, you know, can outperform their abilities, can can outperform the fact that they have, you know, a new scheme and a new coach. Then you're starting to get into an interesting area. You're starting to see, you know, if you have guys like Derek Wolfe and Chris Harris Jr. and others who are out to really ball, you know, Shelby Harris, you know, guys who are who have their careers really on the line. Maybe not even with the Broncos, but with another team. Hopefully with the Broncos, but with anybody, they're going to ball and they're they're going to ball every game. Maybe just a tick harder, just a tick. And if that's the case, you know, who knows? Maybe the whole unit will play beyond their expectations, and, and maybe you'll have a playoff team. Now, I think that's unlikely because I think they have a brutal, brutal schedule. They have a tough division. They have a new scheme. They have a new quarterback who we'll see. I'm not super excited about that. The players like him. He's good in practice, and you know, he's got a big arm. He looks good. He talks like a pro. I mean, he's a veteran. He's, he's a Super Bowl MVP. Um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see with Joe Flacco. I mean, I don't think there's anything to be super excited about, but he can't be worse than Case Keenum. I mean, that that's, that's just really the fact. And so at least he'll bring that leadership. He'll bring that experience. He'll bring that know-how. And then he has more gifted, you know, he's more talented than Keenum or Simeon or Lynch. And so his ceiling or even his floor is much higher than any of these guys. Now, then of course you get into the question of Drew Locke and, and well, we'll see. Uh, As you all know, I am a believer that Drew Locke should sit the entire season, maybe even two. Um, The contention window is not open right now. You want that to be open with Drew Locke, and you want it to be open with Drew Locke even maybe year two, three, or four, because then you'll have at least a few years of him on his cheap contract, which then you can bring in a bunch of other um, free agents and boost the team around a young, cheap quarterback, which is, as I've talked about many times in the past— the, the, the ways to win in the NFL right now, as we've seen, is either to have a Hall of Fame quarterback and obviously build the team around him or to have a cheap young quarterback and build the team around his cheap salary. And my opinion for years now has been that the worst case scenario is to go and spend money, a lot of money, on a meh, veteran guy. And that's unfortunately exactly what they did. But when you look at the whole scenario, it makes sense because really in the end, the Broncos aren't really ready to compete yet. They're, they're just not. Now, hopefully they do. Hopefully, you know, in 2019 and 20, they, they win the Super Bowl. I mean, of course, that's the hope, but it's not likely that that's not really the goal. It's not the realistic goal of the season. So the goal is to, you know, Joe Flacco is kind of your bridge. He helps to to ride the waves of, of building a new team. And you eventually roll with, with Drew Locke or heck, you know, maybe another young quarterback. And then around his salary, you bring in a bunch of other guys. And I think that's what they're going to do. It seems like that's the way they're headed. And if you can build around a great defense, which we hope we have in the scheme that Vic Fangio brings, you already have some great defensive players. I mean, Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, even Shelby Harris, Chris Harris Jr., and I mean, I some of these guys, too, are, are really underrated. Some of the safeties, I think Justin Simmons, Will Parks, I think they're good players. I think they, in, a, in a great scheme, they could be great players. And with that being the case, if they have a great defense, then this team, it could surprise people. It could. We'll see. We will see. It'll be fun. It's exciting because it's it's a low-pressure season. It's low-pressure, but the team is heading in the right direction. That's the difference. It's like it's like the Cleveland Browns last year, after they fired their their um, yeah their head coach. Uh, you know you're headed in the right direction. You have your quarterback. You have some really young stars, but you're not going to win anything this year. And Cleveland outperformed that and and kind of put a scare into everyone that they could go to the playoffs. But that's just gravy. That was gravy for Cleveland because they they have a bright future. Last season, I mean, there wasn't an expectation they were going to the playoffs. But they 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 put a scare, and that's exactly what we should be feeling too. This team is going places, it's going in the right way. But this season, if they make the playoffs, it's just pure gravy. It's just pure fun. We should just enjoy the year, enjoy the off season, enjoy watching these young players. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a blast watching watching these guys play in the preseason. Andrew Locke, Brett Ripon. I mean, that's gonna be fun. I mean, there's they're two of the more exciting young quarterbacks we've had in a long time. Now, yeah, Paxton Lynch was too. So I know that I I remember Paxton Lynch.